If you have your Bibles, let me turn them to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, that's on page 1014. I want to encourage you to listen uh, to our previous two sermons of 1 Peter if you haven't already. If you remember, verses 3 through 12 are one long Greek sentence. And the foundational truths that we learned in the first few verses already help us to understand not only the truths that we'll unpack today, but even the truths and ideas for the rest of the letter. They're, they're, they're pivotal to our understanding of 1 Peter. And so I just want to encourage you, if you've not listened to those sermons, to, to go back and and do so. Perhaps my favorite missionary is Adoniram Judson. You know, that was the first name I threw out to my wife when we found out that we were having a baby boy. But the Lord wanted him to be named Adam. But Adoniram was, uh, he's one of my favorite missionaries. Honestly, I'm I'm not going to do justice to his story today, but I want to encourage you maybe to, to consider reading his biography entitled To the Golden Shore. Adoniram was the first foreign missionary from America, and he went to Burma. This is the country that's now Myanmar. And he went to deliver the gospel to a people who had not yet received it. It would be about six or seven years before Adoniram would see his first convert in Burma. He would spend 38 years of his life serving in Burma. He would translate their first Bible in their language. And he would eventually begin to see some great fruit come from his ministry. But throughout his time in Burma, Adoniram suffered greatly. He would experience great sickness. His family would experience great sickness, often causing them to travel to coastal areas for relief. He would be imprisoned for 17 months in his early ministry. And honestly, when you read about the ordeal of that time, it's difficult to understand what he was walking through in regards to his suffering. This was followed with, with fears and bouts of persecution that would constantly come. Adoniram, during his 38 years, would lose two separate wives due to sickness during those years. He would lose seven of his 13 children in Burma. Adoniram suffered greatly for his king and for his kingdom. But throughout his suffering, his hope was fixated on God. And he trusted in the Lord despite his circumstances. I want you to hear the words of Adoniram. If I had felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, 
I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. Adoniram believed that God was in control throughout all of his suffering and actually purposed it through his love and mercy for his purposes and for his will. This is what we're actually going to see today from our passage. Peter continuing to provide hope to those believers in exile, helping them to understand the hope that they have in Christ in the midst of their trials and in the midst of their sufferings. This is our main point for this morning. Because God has made us born again to a living hope, we can have joy in the midst of trials through our faith. Because God has made us born again to a living hope, we can have joy in the midst of trials through our faith. Today in our passage, I pray that you see how the living hope that we have heard about in the previous weeks actually act as a catalyst to our rejoicing and to our joy. That despite the circumstances and the trials we might be facing today, we can have sure hope in Christ. I want you to look at verse 6 with me. and Let's consider our first point for this morning. The reality, the reality of trials. Verse 6. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In this one verse, this one verse, there are several lessons that we learn about the different trials and sufferings that we might experience in this world. And we're going to kind of walk through a few of these lessons that we can learn from Peter. The first is this. It's to acknowledge the reality of trials in the life of believers. It's to acknowledge the reality of trials in the life of believers. Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to the elect exiles who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus. I pray you see in this passage that the Bible clearly talks about believers who experience trials and sufferings. We know that these are believers because Peter tells us how God has saved them in the previous verse, in chapter five, in verse 5. And in each chapter of the book of 1 Peter, we see Peter mention some level of trial, some level of suffering, some level of persecution that the church is facing. A couple of weeks ago, we learned that they were exiled. They had been displaced from their homes. In chapter 2, we're told that, that they are being reviled, revival or reviled for the name of Christ. In chapter 3, Peter tells us that they should expect to suffer for the sake of Christ. In chapter 4, we see that these people were maligned, a similar concept to being reviled. He also mentions in chapter 4 that they're going to experience not just trials, but actually fiery trials. Peter says in chapter 5, verse 9, that the same kinds of sufferings that, that they were experiencing, the same kind of sufferings that they were dealing with, are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. 
It's important to note these things because it should be expected that we will face trials in our lives. We too will experience sufferings. We too will experience uh, hardships. And this is important because there are pseudo-churches that preach the opposite. Pseudo-churches that say, if you believe and have faith, nothing will go wrong in your life. It's funny, but, but this is what people believe. This is what people teach. That if you give to the church, your suffering will dissipate. Peter's, Peter's trying to teach us, no, 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 no. For the life of the believer, there will be hardship. There will be suffering. But Peter is providing us with truths to prepare us for those The second thing that we can learn about trials in this verse is they are but for a little while. Do you see that? Verse six. They, though for now, they are but for a little while. It's important to note that Peter is not referring to the duration of the suffering or the trial specifically. How do we know that? Because he's talking about various trials in this passage. He's talking about more than just one specific instance of suffering, one specific instance of, uh, uh, of trial that he's, he's talking about a, a slew of different things that they are experiencing. And so he's, tell, he's not telling them that this one specific trial is going to be brief. Rather, Peter is referring to the fact that our time on earth is brief. When compared to the eternal glory that awaits us as believers. And so our suffering is brief. Knowing that our time here on earth is not forever. Knowing that this is not our home. Knowing that we long to arrive to a kingdom where Christ has made all things new. Peter makes this clear in chapter 5. He's going to write, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so Peter is wanting us to consider the truth that as we consider our suffering and our trials that we will experience, they are brief when compared and contrasted to what awaits us in eternity. But, no, but next, look at the third thing that we can learn. Peter adds these two words, if necessary. If necessary. And we see that our trials and our sufferings are a part of God's plans and purposes for our lives. Our sufferings are, a pl- are, are part of God's plans and purposes for our lives. This is what Peter is going to say in chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is really what we learned in the book of Ecclesiastes, was it not? That nothing is outside of the sovereign purposes of our God. He is willing all things for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. This is what Romans chapter 8 tells us and teaches us. 
Now, you might be sitting here already hearing those, those first three lessons. You might currently be one of those people walking through trials, walking through suffering. And you might be thinking to yourself, these truths, these truths are kind of helpful for me. They're kind of encouraging. You might be thinking, but I'm experiencing that suffering today. That brings us to quickly our fourth lesson that we learned from, from verse 6 about trials and sufferings. It's actually biblical to express grief over them. It's actually biblical to express grief over them. That's, that's what's occurring in this passage. Peter acknowledges their grief in the midst of their trials. So even though that we know that they're temporary because, because of what awaits for them is something much more glorious, we know that we're awaiting a time when God will make all things new. That, that doesn't mean that we don't grieve today. It doesn't mean that we just ignore the grief of others that they might express during their own trials and their own sufferings. These brothers and sisters that we see here were grieving their trials and their sufferings because this is a natural response as human beings to feel the pain in our bodies, to acknowledge the brokenness of this world, and to be grieved by it. One of the biblical words that that we use to talk about this idea is lament. It's the idea of the, it's, it's a biblical idea. It's the idea of lament. It's the idea to express great sorrow or grief. There are actually psalms that are categorized as laments. Chapters of the psalms that express sorrow and sadness by the psalmist. I wish I could read some of my favorites, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read Psalms, a bit of Psalms 42. Listen to the word of the psalmist. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Listen to verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil? Within me. Do you hear the grief and the sorrow of the psalmist? His tears have been his food day and night. He pours out his soul to God. Did you hear the last question? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? But while we grieve and experience sorrow, 
Because of our trials and our sufferings, as believers, we will see that in our passage, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Even in the Psalms of Lament, there are typically, there's typically a pattern that we see in them. Typically, we see a, a crying out. That's typically followed by a cry of help to the Lord. And it usually ends with a response of trust or hope in God. Listen to Psalms 42 again. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Very quickly, if you are suffering or in a season of grief and you are in Christ, if you're currently walking in a season of sorrow, where do you currently find yourself in? Do you find yourself in a point where, you, where all you can consider is the expression of that grief or sorrow? Have you had the opportunity to, to cry out for help? Have you cried out to God for his help in your grief? Have you sought the help of the church for your season of suffering? Or have you fixed moments, or, or do you have fixed moments already where you have placed your trust in God? Where you have set your hope in him? The sequence isn't always linear by any means. Sometimes we rotate through these in our seasons of grief and suffering. But for those who are in Christ, hope is what leads us to trust in God. It's what leads us to fix our eyes on him, to return us to the place where we set our trust in him. You know, our hope actually affects the way we grieve. It's what allows us, it's what allows for us to have joy in the midst of our grief. We'll come back to talk about that joy here in a little bit. But I want you to notice the first phrase of verse 6. As, he, as we already considered the, the, the reality of their trials, look at what Peter says to begin the verse. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. These believers were grieving because of the trials, and yet at the same time they were rejoicing. The New American actually has a better translation. It says, in this you greatly rejoice. They weren't, they weren't just rejoicing, but there was a great rejoicing in the midst of their trials. And this is, how we, this is why we say that our grieving, our sorrow as believers is different because this is paradoxical. That you could be suffering and yet have joy that you could be in distress and yet be rejoicing. But what are they rejoicing in? What is the in this of chapter, of verse six? 
It's everything that he has mentioned in verses 3 through 5. It's the truth that we have been born again to a living hope that finds its security and truthfulness in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why the resurrection is pivotal to the gospel message. The gospel message is not only that we are saved from our sins and death, but that we have been raised to new life in Christ Jesus. Our faith is not just a belief that our sins have been forgiven, but it's also that our faith is in the belief that the resurrection is real. That the resurrection has actually occurred. That Christ is alive today. That he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And that he's coming back for us. It's in, it's, it's, it's in these truths, church family, that, that we rejoice knowing that we are kept and guarded in faith by the power of God. Peter reminds us that we can rejoice in the midst of our trials because we have been born again to a living hope. But he also encourages these brothers and sisters by reminding them of the purpose, the purpose of their trials. Look at verses seven through eight. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now, do, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter says that the purpose for the various trials that, that, that they were experiencing was to, to test their faith. It was meant to, to prove their faith. This isn't an uncommon idea or truth that we find in the scriptures. Jesus talks about it in the parable of the seeds. There's a sower in this story, and, he, and he's casting out seeds, and the seeds represent the message of the gospel, and the seeds fall on four different types of soil. And one of the soils is, it falls on is rocky. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when the tribulations of persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. What did Jesus say? There are some who hear the gospel and they receive it. The message sounds pleasing to them. But when they face trials or, or persecutions because of the message of the gospel, it's revealed that their faith wasn't genuine. But that's not what has occurred with these that have been exiled in 1 Peter. 
because they have believed the gospel and we can see their love of Christ in, throughout, the, throughout the letter of 1 Peter. Their faith was, was tested and was being proven true by their endurance. But Peter has already told them how they were enduring. Do you remember from last week? Look at verse 5. It tells us that they were being guarded by faith through the power of God, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Their faith was being guarded by the power of God. They were enduring because of the power of God that was working in their life. Peter is is so helpful. He provides us with a simple illustration to teach us about our faith in the midst of trials. Peter, he compares and contrasts, um, uh, he compares and contrasts faith with gold. First, Peter reminds us that their faith through this illustration is more valuable than gold. Their faith is, is more valuable than gold. That the, that the salvation that they have been given is more valuable than anything that they could have ever possessed here on this earth. Anything that they could have ever acquired here on this earth, that their faith was more valuable. Jesus teaches us this also in Matthew chapter 16. Listen to the words of Christ. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Peter is, is reinforcing the idea that what is imperishable, genuine faith, that brings an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading is more valuable than gold. Because gold even will perish and it will pass away. I wonder if you view your faith in this way, church family. Do you see your faith as more valuable than anything that you can attain on this earth? Is Christ your most prized possession? But while Peter contrasts its value, he compares how gold too is tested and refined to separate it from from other elements, to remove impurities. I watched watched several videos of this uh, just to to get my mind around the process of what they do. It's incredible. They go and they get a bunch of rock and ore that's mined they process it together. There's so much fire and heat that's applied. Things melt away. So that all the other elements are burned away. Everything, all the impurities, they're, they're burned away. And it's incredible because what's left, what's left through that process is the gold. They separate the gold from, from all of this rock and junk and material. Peter tells us this is what occurs with our faith. When we walk through trials and sufferings, 
the genuineness of our faith is proven and at the same time it is refined, it is strengthened, it is grown as we walk through our trials and through our sufferings. Nine days ago, a notable pastor, author, speaker, Tim Keller passed away. He had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer um, at some point in 2020. This was his second round. He had already conquered or he had already, you know, had a, a cancer battle before and had already passed that. And, and this was a new one that, that arose. And early on in that process, he, he was given a diagnosis and was told, hey, there's, there's really no cure for this. He was told that the cancer would eventually lead to his death, which, which it did. And in light of his death, there have been several articles and clips kind of being circulated online. I've been, I've been reading quite a bit on, on Keller recently. I, I recently read an interview uh, that he gave back from January of this year, just a few, few months ago. It was an interview specifically on what God had taught him through this season, these, these three years of having, having and living with, with terminal cancer. And he was asked a specific question about the highs and lows of his experience. Listen to what Keller said. The highlights are, and this is going to sound like an exaggeration, but my wife and I would never want to go back to the kind of prayer life or spiritual life we had before the cancer. Did you hear what Keller said? He and his wife would not go back to the spiritual and prayer life that had, they had prior to the cancer. If you read the rest of the interview, Keller shares a little bit about what he learns about prayer through his experience. But I hope that this encourages us. And I also hope that this challenges us today. In his late 70s, this prominent pastor who had preached over a thousand sermons, he had written over 30 books, and yet was still having his faith refined in the last few years of his life. Our trials and our sufferings are not without purpose, but they are meant to refine our faith and our character. They're meant to remove the impurities of our faith, to strengthen them, Listen to what James says in his letter. I want you to know James is writing to the Jews that are in, disper in, in, in Dispersa. It's the same kind of geolog geographical area that these exiles are from, from First Peter. I want you to hear what James writes to them. Chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says that, that one of the qualities that's produced in our faith is steadfastness. And that through this steadfastness of faith, when it's had its full effect, it's, it's perfected. At the end of his letter, James says this in chapter 5. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, 
and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James provides an example of those, of one who was steadfast in their trials and sufferings, Job. Do you remember the story of Job? Job was a man in the Bible that lost everything. And we're actually told that, that it was the Lord who, who referred Job to Satan to be tested. And Satan's response was, was that Job only feared God because everything in Job's life was going well. His land, his livestock, his children, all of that stuff was, was, was excelling. And so in the book of Job, Job is tested. And he loses everything, everything. He loses his children. He loses his livestock. He even, he even deals with physical ailments in the story. Job lost everything and, and he suffered in, in ways that none of us in here will ever experience. And James actually tells us that the purpose of his suffering was, that, was, it, was so that he would see that God was compassionate and merciful. Our trials and our sufferings, our seasons of sufferings are meant to prove the genuineness of our faith, to refine our faith, not in ourselves, but to God. But not only that, it's so that our faith, look at what it says, may be found to result in the praise glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. This is, this is tested faith. Our, our genuine faith is, is, is meant, to, meant to result in praise, glory, and honor in the last days. Whose praise, glory, and honor? Well, there's, there's really two ways of, of viewing this, two ways of understanding this. First, it's given to, to the one whose faith is approved and whose, whose faith is approved and genuine. This, this tends to be probably the, the proper idea because Peter here is already commending them for their faith. How do we know that? Because of, of verse 8. Their faith is in Jesus Christ, is, is sincere and true. How do we know that? Because they have not seen him, and yet they love him. They currently don't see him, and yet they believe in him. But this idea is taught in other places throughout the New Testament. That there are rewards provided for those that persevere and enduring till the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 talks about the commendations that will be received by the one who endures. Paul says in Romans 2, he talks about those who through patience received glory, honor, and peace. But from another perspective, for believers, the, the praise and glory and honor is ultimately not ours. It's God's. And even at the end, if we receive it for a brief moment, it's returned and given back to him, knowing that it's he who has sustained us. It's he that has kept us. It's he that has guarded us. True and genuine faith always results in the praise and glory of God. We see this example. We see the example of our faith being tested, of its refinements bringing glory and honor to God clearly in the New Testament. 
I want you to think back on the book of Daniel. There's a story about three Israelites who are in exile in Babylon. The king at this time creates a statue of gold in his image and he commands that everyone bow down and worship it every day. But there are three young men who refuse. And it ultimately leads them, it ultimately leads to the king putting them into an actual furnace to be burned. But God protects the men from the flames and the king, he eventually calls them out of the furnace and the scriptures mention that they, they weren't burned. That neither their, that, that not even their cloaks were burned. And it says, the scriptures say they didn't even smell like fire. Some of you are going to go to barbecues, I'm sure, this weekend. You've already had them. You know how difficult that, that is, right? Just to, to pass by and, and not even, these, these men didn't even smell like fire. And as a result of this pagan king seeing how God had protected them, how their faith in God to deliver them, listen to what he says in Daniel chapter 3. This is his response as he sees the power of God. Best, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. God displayed their power. The faith of the men was put to the test and they trusted in the power of God. And the result was the praise of God from a pagan king. Peter teaches us that trials and sufferings have a purpose, that they prove true, the genuineness of our faith. They remind us of the value of our faith. They, they refine us and grow us in faith to trust in God in greater ways. But our faith also leads us to, joy, to have joy in our trials. Look at the end of verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with him, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What I love about this passage in 1 Peter is that Peter gives us a present perspective to rejoice and to be filled with joy. Our, our present perspective is that the salvation that God has given us by his great mercy, that's, that's our present perspective on how to rejoice. But Peter also gives us a future perspective for us to presently rejoice in, and that's the outcome of our faith. The full salvation that we will experience when Christ returns or when we die to meet him. This means that we receive the ultimate end and purpose of our faith. The salvation of our souls. When we will be glorified in Christ and made fully and completely new. And so in the present, we rejoice in these two perspectives. We rejoice because Christ has saved us. He has made us white as snow. He has freed us from the power of sin. He has, he has conquered our greatest enemy. He has given us new life in him. 
And we also rejoice and are full of joy in the present, knowing that God will one day glorify us in Christ Jesus. As we look at this passage, we see that there is a joy that is given to the believer because of their faith. He describes it as inexpressible and filled with glory. I wonder today, asking you just a simple question, where is your hope set in? Where, if you're walking through a trial, if you're walking through suffering, where have you set your hope? Is your hope set on a circumstance changing? Your situation uh, shifting? On a diagnosis to change? Or is your hope set in Christ, and in his resurrection. Really quickly, just a, some quick takeaways as we end our time. Just, just three quick takeaways. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you're, you're hearing about how believers can have joy in the midst of their trials, can have hope in the midst of your trials, and you're thinking, how is that possible? just encourage you to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To place your faith and hope in Christ Jesus today. We would love to have a conversation of what that means. To hear about how you can be born again to a living hope. You're here today and you, you don't know Christ just want to encourage you to place your faith and hope in Christ. If you're in Christ today, I want to encourage you to trust in the Lord and don't despair. Trust in the Lord and don't despair. Go to the Psalms. Go to the Psalms of laments and, 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 and learn how to grieve Biblically, how to lament, how to place your hope in Christ. I love Psalms 77. It's another song of lament. I want you to hear some of the questions that the, that the psalmist is asking. And he's asking these kind of in a rhetorical manner. Verse 7 says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Those are all rhetorical questions. They're all questions meant to consider the opposite of what is being stated, the truth of what is being stated no, God is favorable to his people forever. He has a steadfast love that will never cease. His promises are true. They are certain and will come to completion. 
Our God is gracious and he is compassionate and he abounds in his steadfast love. I want you to know that trusting in the Lord alone is a very difficult thing. And this is, why the, this is why the Lord has provided the church. Which, is, which brings me to our third response. Rejoice, encourage, and mourn with one another. We want to rejoice in our salvation and we want to rejoice in the things that God is doing in our lives that bring us joy and happiness. But we also want to encourage one another to remember the things that God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. We need to be reminded of what he has done. We need to be reminded of the fact that he is coming for us. We need to be reminded of these things in the midst of our suffering. But we also need to mourn with one another. We need to... We need to uh, bear one another's burdens. You know, this is one reason why this Wednesday we're, we're beginning to talk about what that might look like for us as a church. What it looks like for us to come together as groups, as small groups, and begin to, to care for one another, begin to encourage one another, begin to rejoice with one another. And so I would just invite you to come this Wednesday as we begin to see how we how we do this as a church. As we look at 1 Peter, as we continue on, hope that you see the hope that Peter will continually provide the people of God. That while they are suffering, while they are experiencing trials, they have a living hope that's based in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we come in the name of Jesus. Lord, and we pray that, that you would allow your, work, your word to comfort us today. Lord, that you would help us to remember the gospel message and the power of Christ that's in work, that, that works in us and through us. Lord, we pray for those who are walking through trials and difficulties this morning. We pray that you would help them to rest in you today. That you would help us as the church to come alongside them today. To, to help them carry the burden, to help encourage, to help remind them of the truth of your word as we mourn with them. Father, help us as we desire to grow in this way. Lord, we pray that while our circumstances are constantly changing, our situations vary from, from different degrees Lord, I pray that as a church, as a, as a people of God, we would be able to rejoice in you. And so, Lord, would you allow us to do that even in response to your word? We pray this in the name of Jesus. 
Amen.